song to lead us into into worship right out of um, Romans chapter 5, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And to remember, um, yeah, amen, amen, um, to remember the goodness of his grace and mercy towards us as we jump into the scriptures today. If you have a Bible, um, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And if you're new here, um, welcome. My name's Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here, and we've been um, over the course of this fall and now stretching into winter, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians. And so we are at the last part of chapter 4. And um, if you missed any of the messages, you can hop online and, and catch up sometime. And uh, we would love for you to do that because uh, over the course of the last few months, um, we've really had a journey through the book of Ephesians that in many ways has been um, life-changing for me and just re-examining who I am in Jesus. And, and I think it gets really easy for us to start defining ourselves and, and identifying ourselves based on what we think and what we feel. And, and it's been so refreshing, at least for me, to just go back to the scriptures and ask God the simple question, in light of the gospel, who am I? And in light of what you've done, who am I? And his answer to us in the book of Ephesians has been uh, manifold, but part of that has been um, you're, you're blessed, you're redeemed, you're adopted, you're forgiven, you're made new, you're a son or daughter of the king, you have a great inheritance, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Now, those are all pretty life-changing things, aren't they? I mean, as I've thought about it, this week and getting back into Ephesians, they are. And we're going to jump right back in and be reminded of some of those great truths today. And as I was thinking about this message um, and this passage of Scripture, an event that happened that I referenced on Christmas Eve, uh, an event happened on March, let me just get my dates right, March 20th, 2011, that was a game changer for Denver. And don't know what that was. There it is. A little guy by the name of Peyton Manning. Can you check and see what? There's something a little bit off with our slides. But there is another picture of him down there. Yep, not there. Okay, you're just going to have to take my word for it. I'm not tied to these slides anyway. If they don't work, no big deal. But on March 20th... Yeah, it's still there. Anyway, Peyton Manning signed a contract with the Denver Broncos. He was a Colt for the previous, I think, 13 or 14 years. Now, imagine, imagine what it might have been like. Hey, if you, if you guys, can you picture mute that so that it doesn't distract me? I don't know if it's distracting them, but I'm just seeing it going like this. There. Hey. See, now here's just a really quick thing. This is a uh, parenthetical thought to our message. We only recognize tech... We only recognize tech and sound people when they mess up, which is so rare here that we rarely get to say to them, thank you for the way that they serve and how much they do. So, And in all honesty, it was probably my mess up anyway. So, I mean, imagine the change that would have gone on in Peyton Manning's life. I mean, he moves his, he moves his house from um, Indianapolis to the Denver area. He has different teammates. He runs different plays. They have different calls that they use. And, and so everything changes for Manning when he changes teams. And, and 
I sometimes wonder if maybe he gets up to the line of scrimmage and just accidentally calls out a play that they used to run for the Indianapolis Colts. And maybe that's why he does this so much, right? <laughs> if you watch the games, you watch him, he's going, never mind. I forgot I'm a Bronco now. Fly away. Fly away. You just watch next week. He does this a lot. And I started to wonder, man, what would, I wonder if it's difficult to remember my, my team is different now. My, my jersey's different now. My city's different now. The plays I run are different now. I wonder if that's been an adjustment for him. And as I started to think about that, I wondered, I wonder for how many of us is the adjustment of starting to follow after Jesus. Is it, is it difficult to adjust to? Is it difficult for us to go, all right, I, I really, I really am different. Like I'm on a different team. In fact, did you know that the scriptures tell you that you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? That you've been, yeah, amen, that is good news. That you've been raised from death to life. That you've been moved from an orphan to adopted by the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the prince of peace. That you have been made different. But. I wonder how often we just forget. I wonder how often we just start running plays or or just living life and sort of slip back into these behavior patterns that are of a different part of our life that really aren't us anymore. And I wonder if maybe today God wants us to just look a little bit at, at some of the external things going on in our life. Some of the behaviors that we're living. To start examining whether we really do believe and are living under the weight and the conviction of the fact that we've been redeemed. Of the fact that we've been made new. And let me show you how how Paul does this in the book of Ephesians. This is just, this is great. We're going to look at a passage of scripture that has 11 commands in the greek 11 imperatives but i I would just i want to start us off on the right foot before we start making a checklist because that's a little bit how i'm programmed maybe how you're programmed too it's like all right we got to do all these things and that's not how he starts listen therefore verse 25 okay now anytime we come across the word therefore in scripture we should ask ourselves the question Hey, I'm glad you asked that question. What's it there for? Well, it's connecting two ideas. That's why, and and I don't do this just to be silly or just to be funny. I do this because my goal isn't just to teach scripture on a Sunday morning. I want to teach you how to study the scriptures for yourself because our time together here is minuscule in comparison to the time that hopefully you will have to spend with the Lord on your own. And so I do that so that when you come to scripture in your morning time with the Lord or evening or whenever you do it and you come across the word, therefore you automatically hear my voice going in your head. What's it there for? So he says, therefore, now let me rewind what what, it's going to be a few weeks back to what we ended talking about the last time we were in this fully alive series. Because this is beautiful. Listen to this. He says, Remember that your old self 
which belongs to your former way of life and is corrupt through evil and, and sorry, through deceitful desires that you have, that you've put off this old self. And 23, that you're being renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on or that you have put on. In the Greek, it's, it's, it's a done deal. You've put on a new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holy, so, holiness. So he says, listen, remember the gospel. Remember the gospel that you have died and that you have been risen with Christ. Remember that your old nature is gone. That God is working in you right now. That He is transforming you right now. And that you, verse 24, that you are new. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That's essentially what Paul writes in verses 22 through 24. And now he says, Therefore... Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Because he's not just going to say, here's a list of commands that you need to do and a list of things you need to execute in order for God to look on you as holy or in order for you to be made right in the sight of God. He's going to say, because that's already a done deal, live it out. Now, now, that should bring a lot of freedom, and it should make us a little bit scared because the implications are great. If we're not living it out, that means we don't believe it. And if we're not living it out, the answer isn't, hey, try harder to do these 11 things that he talks about. The answer is press into Jesus. Remember that the therefore that we've been, that, that our old self is gone, that our new self has come, that he's at work right now in our lives. And so it's both easier and harder at the same point. But here's where I, I want to start. This is the big idea that I want us to circle around this morning. And as many days as God gives me breath on earth and Sundays to teach, this in some way will be the point of the message. Spoiler alert, sorry, but it's true that when the gospel grips us, it redefines the way that we live. That this transformation that's taken place inside of you, moving from, from death to life, moving from, from, from being an orphan to being adopted by the King of Kings, moving from being entrenched in sin and found holy in the sight of God because of the blood of Jesus, changes everything. And if it doesn't, the Scripture's answer is never try harder. It's go back to the beginning and remember who you were and remember who you are and let it press on your life in such a way that it brings about the fruit of change that the Gospel always yields. See, look at the way that Jesus talks about our internal condition. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the what? Heart. 
flows, but the mouth speaks. So he says, listen, the things that come out of us aren't sort of isolated. They aren't little things that we can sort of try to work on. The things that come out of us are a reflection of our heart. So that's why Paul starts off this section of Scripture when he's going to talk about 11 commands with, therefore. Because you've been made different, because you're new, because the gospel is real and has weight and is pressing on your life. Live it out. And if we aren't living it out, it just means we don't believe it. So here's where he goes. Here's where he goes. We're going to walk through these together. It's a little bit small, I apologize. Here's where he goes. Therefore, I promise I'm going to get over that word eventually today. Having put away falsehood, let each of you speak with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such that is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed, but for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, how many of you agree, if we were able to live these out, our lives would be better than if we weren't. See, here's the deal. We always think of of scriptures and the commands that God gives us as burdensome. We read them and we're like, oh gosh, that's a long list. This Jesus really wants to rob me of life and lead me into darkness. And, And we think that in our heads sometimes, but we all know it's not true. We all know it's not true. Here's what Paul, here's the big idea, the point that Paul is going to make, is that the gospel changes us, and there's a few ways that he talks about in this passage that it changes us, and that it leads us into life abundant and life full. Here's what we see, sort of big picture what we see in this passage, is that a gospel change in our soul is reflected in a new way that we interact with each other. A new way that we interact with each other, that we interact as the body here, and a new way that we interact in our marriages, a new way we interact with our kids, a new way that we interact with our neighbors, that the the gospel is not solely concerned, hear me on this, with your relationship with God. It is. It is concerned with that, but that isn't its only concern. And, And I think we often sort of, we've privatized faith so much. We have, we have a personal relationship with Jesus. And so we can think that faith is just a vertical thing. And what you see all throughout the scriptures is that no, 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 no. Faith is not solely between you and God, but that a relationship with God trickles over into every dimension of your life. That it's not just a a vertical thing, that it's a horizontal thing too. 
And it impacts every relationship that we have. Look at the way that First John, um, that John makes this point in his letter. And the book of First John is just so black and white. Listen to what he writes. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. I mean, that's sort of, that's not a gray area. Is it? You say you love God, you hate your brother, you're a liar. That's, that's, that, that is a synopsis of this book. Is it sort of the way that John approaches it? And he goes, listen, if you can't love the people right in your proximity and you say you love God, you, just, you don't. He says, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So let's look at how this passage in Ephesians encourages us, not just to have faith as a, as a vertical thing in our life, but, but horizontal, that it reaches into relationships, that it reaches into neighborhoods, that it reaches into marriages. And here's what he says. Put away falsehood and let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So his first thing is, hey, stop lying. That's essentially what he says. Or better, better, be people who are willing in the context of community to speak truth to one another. The times where it's easier to just say nothing, Paul says, when the gospel presses on our lives, we are willing to speak truth. We're willing to preach each other the gospel in the context of of close relationships. We're willing to say to others, hey, it sounds to me like there's a piece of God's grace that you're missing. And, And this is just sort of, this is for free this morning, but I think the healthy accountability relationships that we have are not sin patrol, but they are relationships that we have where we remind each other of the therefore. Hey, you've been made new. You you are redeemed in Christ. You're forgiven before the throne of God. Listen, your jersey's changed. You're a different person. Quit running the old plays. You're you're new. And Paul says we're people who are willing to speak truth. He says, be angry. Be angry. This is not a command you often read in Scripture. Be angry. He says, "But, but don't sin. But don't sin. See, there's a, there is a righteous anger, isn't there? And most of us always think, yeah, but it's my anger. Mine is righteous. I think it's probably the best default to think initially, this is not righteous anger. But there is some anger that's righteous, anger that, that is close to the heart of God. You see God angry when people are, are abused, when mistreated, when his name's taken in vain, things like that. But what Paul says here is, hey, be quick to let it go. Why? So that, so that Satan doesn't have a foothold in your life. It's like this idea of, of a climbing term where you can get sort of your foot in so that you can climb up a little bit more. Hey, hey, friends, if we don't let the gospel press in on our life and free us from anger and bitterness, we create a playground for the devil. Because it's not, it doesn't just begin or it begins with anger, but it doesn't end there. 
Because anger turns into bitterness and anger turns into hate and anger eventually will destroy us. And you see, we're often angry at other people and we think if I hold on to this anger, they're going to get it. And we chuckle because we all know it couldn't be further from the truth, is it? We hang on to that anger and we get it. And so what Paul says and what the Holy Spirit testifies to us through the scriptures is, hey, I want better for you than that. He continues. Let the thief steal no longer, but rather let him labor doing honest work. Did you know that having a good work ethic is part of having faith? In the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, followers of Jesus had just sort of checked out. They, they thought that Jesus was going to return real quick. And so they just stopped working. It's sort of like the people that believe all the doomsday prophecies of the world's going to end. And so they maxed out their credit cards and they stopped working. Sort of the first Christians in Thessalonica did something similar. And Paul writes to them and goes, come on, no, 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 no. Keep working. Work is a good thing. Keep working. Dear I man, I dream of a time where employers long to hire followers of Jesus because they know that they're going to be honest, hardworking people. And what Paul writes is, hey, when the gospel presses on our life, it moves us from being people who take to people who work and give. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such, only such that is good for building up as it's fitting for the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Because, you know, you have a choice with your words. You have a choice with your words. Your words can either build up or they can tear down. And they do. They have power, friends. Especially, especially if you're a parent, the words you speak to your kids have power. I can remember sitting in a small group with a high school student years and years ago. And I can still remember this because I sort of filed it away in my head and I said, never, never, never. And he said, I had my dad proofread my paper and it had a lot of mistakes in it. And my dad gave it back to me and said, you're an idiot. And I can remember this kid in front of a bunch of other high school boys just crying. And here's what he said. Here's what he said. He followed that up with, and those words are seared on my mind. I thought to myself, man, there's power in word. There's power in the things that you speak over other people. So this passage asks us a really simple question. Are you an agent of bringing, of building people up or tearing people down because when the gospel presses on us and we're content in who we are, it allows us to be the type of people who start to build into others. He says, "Let do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We're going to come back to this. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. It's really interesting because in this translation, in the ESV translation, they get the tense of the verb right. It says, let it be put away from you. It's this sort of passive idea that it's something that happens to us. It says, let it be put away from you. So here's Paul's 
here's Paul's idea at the end of this passage is, hey, when the gospel grips you, it frees you. It frees you from being bitter and having to look back at all the things that have happened in your life and be angry about them. Why? Because God's been so good to you. It frees you of being angry. Why? Because God's been so good to you. It, it frees you from having to hold on to revenge. Why? Because as he said, Christ has forgiven you. Man, what a powerful, powerful picture. That the gospel that, that changes our hearts, that makes turns our heart of stone into a heart of flesh, doesn't just influence the way that we interact uh, on a vertical dimension, but it changes the way that we interact everywhere. And so let me ask you, as you read through this, is there anything that the Holy Spirit stirs in your heart and in your soul to say, this is sort of a sign that maybe things aren't right internally? That you're, you're an angry person. Maybe it's, it's way easier for you to tear people down than it is to build people up. And he's going, hey, hey, maybe we need to do some business today. Maybe the therefore is for you today, where you remember in a fresh way, in a new way, what God has done for you in Jesus. You remember that you are a new creation. And maybe this morning is a time where you say, listen, it's just time to start pressing back into a God who's been so good to you. I want to point something out that's in this passage that may be lost in the 11 commands because he never says, Paul never says, hey, just stop doing this. Did you notice that in this passage? He doesn't say, hey, stop stealing. Only. He doesn't say, hey, hey, stop speaking bad about people. He doesn't say that. He always, he always gives you something to replace that action with. Now, this is big for us because as people, we very rarely ever just ditch one action completely without filling that hole with something else. And I want to point out the way that he does this, but big picture, here's what the gospel does in our lives. As the gospel presses on us, not only does it change the way that we interact with the people around us, but it gives us a new life-giving affection. It creates in us a holy discontent with the things that are in view of the things that could be. So here's what Paul says, essentially. Here's what Paul says. He says, hey, you think, you think that stealing is a rush. Well, why don't you try working and giving? That, his point is, that's going to do something in your soul. Does stealing do something for this person? Absolutely. But he says, listen, what's even better than that, the rush that's better than that, is you work and you give. That's better. New, life-giving affection. Hey, you think it's, it's fun to tear people down? And hey, let's, in some ways, we get a little bit from that, don't we? And we wouldn't do it if we didn't. So just a few nods. Yeah, yeah, okay. 
He says, you know what's even better than that? Tearing people down. You could, you could build somebody up. And not only that, but if you look at this passage, look what he says. That it may give grace to those who hear. Did you know that with your words, you can be a conduit of the grace of God? That somebody may hear the voice of God because of the words that you speak. And Paul goes, that's so much better than just tearing people down with your words. You could, you could build them up and they could taste a little bit of Jesus. But here's the deal, friends. You can't do both. You can't do both. I mean, just as the book of Matthew said, listen, we're either going to bear good fruit or we're going to bear bad fruit. And the type of fruit we bear is determined by the condition of our heart. I don't know about you, but I want to become growingly discontent with simply tearing people down. I want to be a conduit of grace. In our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our marriages, and wherever we go, that we might be people who God uses to speak into the lives of others just a picture of His grace. I mean, if you've been with us through the book of Ephesians, you hopefully have a picture of that in your head. And what He's saying is, hey, you could be the person with your words that speaks grace into other people's lives. But it only happens as the gospel presses in on us, and it only happens as the gospel grips us. And so let me ask you a real simple question. Has it? Has it? In such a way that it changes us. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor be put away. He says, replace that with being kind to one another. I mean, it sort of sounds like what I tell my almost four-year-old. Right? I mean, hey, don't be mean. Be nice. Be kind to one another. We all know it's harder than that. Be, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Hey, you. You know why you may not be able to understand the forgiveness that God has for you? It's because you're not willing to let go of some of the bitterness that you're holding on to. Because what he says is, is as we forgive we start to realize and we start to see more clearly the way that God has been so abundantly, amazingly good to us. He says, Paul says, I want you to have a holy discontent with the way that things are, that you might seek more, that you might long for more, and that it might drive you deeper and deeper into the gospel, that God might grip more and more of your heart, and as he does that, that he might lead you more into the joy that he has for you. So he goes, hey, you could be a conduit of grace in somebody's life. You might be able to change somebody's world by just working and, and giving, and think of what that might do in your own soul. His desire is always to lead you into joy. Always. And that's what these commands are all about. Will you walk in the path of joy? I started to think about what might that look like today? What might it look like to sort of replace some of these desires and some of these passions with things that are better? Here's my short list. Maybe it's the husband who's bitter at his wife or the wife who's bitter at her husband, that they don't just tolerate each other, that they love sacrificially. Maybe it's that. 
Maybe it's a child who's at odds with their parents that they don't just obey, but they go out of their way to serve. Every kid in here is like, oh, come on, Paulson. Maybe it's the, the guy or gal who's been wrestling with pornography and you, you stop and you move out of that and you start fighting for people who are sex slaves around the world. Maybe it's people who, maybe you've, maybe you've had an abortion and you're wrestling with that and you start maybe looking towards adoption or you start, see, because what Paul says is we don't just stop. We, we don't just move from, from negative to neutral. We move from negative to positive. And so followers of Jesus are always agents of change in the world. We have to be because we have been changed. We have been made different. All right, let me, let me close with verse 30. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So, as the gospel presses on our lives, it changes our relationships with each other. As the gospel presses on our lives, it gives us a new life-giving affection. It makes us want to want to fight for better in our life and other people's lives to walk in the joy that Jesus has for us. And it's motivated by a new relationship with the Holy Spirit. Did you know that the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you? If you're a follower of Jesus, will you just nod? Just let me know. You're... Okay, the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. And it says in this passage, you can grieve the Spirit. Now, you can't grieve in it. Right? You can't grieve in it. You can grieve a person, but you cannot grieve in it. The Holy Spirit is a person. And He lives inside of you. And He says, hey, my desire and my longing is to usher you into joy, into fullness, into life. And when that doesn't happen... When that doesn't happen, he starts to go, come on, come on. Like every time I put down my son for nap and he wants to come out for like an hour, I'm going, come on. Why? Because I know that his night is going to be a nightmare. So is mine. But I know that it's just going to mess everything up. And it's not because I'm angry at him or mad at him. I want his joy. That's what I want. And here's the deal. The Holy Spirit inside of you wants to usher you into life-giving, abundant, better-than-you-can-imagine-it joy. And his invitation to us in this passage is, will you, will you listen to me and, and will you respond to me? And here's the danger, friends. Here's the danger, is that the longer that we ignore that voice, the longer that we ignore that knocking harder it gets to hear it. The longer we grieve the Spirit, the harder it gets to hear Him saying, Ryan, I want your joy. Would you build people up instead of tear them down? I want your joy. Did you know that you can prick the heart I think in an effort to elevate God's glory and His sovereignty and His goodness, which I'm all about, we've stripped Him of some of His emotion. 
And he's going, listen, I live inside of you and I can be affected by you. I'm not just a static, platonic, unmoved mover God who's just up there going, whatever. I'm deeply invested in you, he says this morning. And I want your joy more than you want it yourself. And so I wonder if for some of us that knocking on the soul of our heart where he's going, listen, I want you to come deeper. I want you to believe the gospel. I want you to trust what I've done, that the old is gone, the new has come. I want you to believe that you are new, that maybe today is the day that we start to say to him, all right. And maybe today, maybe today is the day that some of you for the first time ever put faith in Jesus. Because his offer is always on the table and it's a, I will redeem, I will take your sin and I will cover it with my holiness. I will take your deadness and I will wake you up. I will take what's messed up in your life and I will walk with you every step of the way by my ends this passage by saying, hey, let's be people who forgive. That when the gospel presses on our life, we're people who quickly release wrongs that have been done to us. Well, why? Why? Because as he said right here in this passage, because Christ has forgiven us. That's where it all begins. That's where this whole therefore begins is that we're forgiven and we're washed clean. We are made new by the blood of Jesus. His his penalty that he pays on the cross for our sins given to us makes us new. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that, that he, Jesus, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness. And so, friend, I want to remind you this morning just how much you've been forgiven. And it's a lot. And I want and I hope that that presses on our lives in such a way that it changes everything about us. And what a beautiful lead-in to celebrate the Lord's table together today.